Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Um, welcome, everybody, and we'll do a 30-minute meditation, then we'll have some discussion. The topic tonight is the sixth factor of the Eightfold Path, which is effort. And we'll talk about uh, what the Buddha taught, what the teachings are on how how hard we have to work, how much effort we need to put in in order to make progress on the path and uh, experience the fruits and ultimately to experience uh, freedom, more and more freedom, liberation. And in your meditation, you're constantly finding your own balance with that of um, how much are you bringing your attention back to the present time experience and how much are you accepting that the attention doesn't like to stay in the present time experience and it likes to go and um, identify with the thoughts about the future and the thoughts about the past. And so even just in the basic mindfulness first foundation where we're trying to be present with our body breathing and the sensations of the breath takes effort. But there is a such thing as too much effort of trying too hard and becoming uh, tense and stressed and, and um, rigid about your meditation practice. And there's a such thing as not trying hard enough and just sitting here and just indulging in fantasy for 30 minutes and not actually being mindful at all. <laughs> Uh, so we're all constantly in meditation trying to find that um, sustainable effort to be present, but also to accept that the attention is going to wander and then we come back and we sustain, we connect, we sustain, and then the attention gets drawn into another, you know, really uh, compelling thought. Your mind says you should really, really indulge in this plan or this memory or this resentment and and you lose present time awareness and then you're, oh, you're like oh shit I've been sitting here fantasizing or you know resenting or whatever it is and then you connect and you come back and we're all doing that it's really what meditation is is this returning and the idea of um that you're going to get so good at mindfulness that you're just going to stay fully present all of the time. Um, it's probably something that, I mean, it's a worthy goal on some level, but if you're suffering about your inability to do it, relax a little bit, accept the, the process a little bit more, knowing that you're not going to have a hundred percent presence. You're going to likely be lost in thought and everybody uh, experiences that. So find a way to sit that's relaxed and upright. And when you're ready, um, close your eyes. Establishing a posture for meditation. Releasing any tension that you can release. 
softening the brow, the eyes, the jaw, shoulders, neck, chest. As you exhale, see if you can relax your stomach. Soften the belly with each exhale. And establishing an inner attitude, the intention to be kind towards your own experience, towards the mind, the heart, the body. And aspiration and intention of friendliness and mercy, acceptance. as we put the effort in to train the mind in present time, non-judgmental, investigative awareness. Mindfulness of the breath and body, the first task, first practice. Letting the thoughts be in the background, directing our full attention to the sensations of sitting. And the sensation created by the breath as it enters and exits the nostrils. Breathing in. Receive the breath, be mindful of the sensations that the breath is creating. 
Breathing out, let go, soften your belly. Mindfully releasing, relinquishing, letting go.
when your attention is drawn away from the physical experience of the present moment, drawn likely back into thinking, just acknowledge it, name it. This is thinking, the mind is planning, worrying. Then returning to the breath, back to the body. Let the thoughts be in the background. Not trying to stop the mind from thinking, it's just what it does. But awareness, mindfulness is separate from the thinking mind and can be directed. So we direct it to the physical form, the body, the breath.
If you're new, keep the breath as the primary object. If you'd like to keep it simple, just return to the breath over and over, ignore your mind. Pay attention to your body. The quality of investigating the impermanent nature of the breath and all of the other sensations. This is where the Buddha started the mindfulness instructions, but then he continued with an encouragement to expand the attention from a narrow focus on the breath to the our whole being. The thoughts and emotions and the sounds, smell and taste and sights, all of the ways of knowing, seeing and hearing as part of our mindfulness, thinking and feeling as part of our mindfulness, aware the impermanent nature of all of the human experience, thoughts arising and passing, sensations coming and going, Mindfulness reveals the truth of impermanence. 
and how we create our own suffering when we cling to impermanent experience, when we crave for permanence, when we get attached. Or when we meet the unpleasant, impermanent experience with anger and fear, resistance, aversion. Ultimately, our whole practice is teaching us compassion for pain, learning to be uncomfortable, to be friendly towards our discomfort, whether it's mental or emotional or physical. Teaching us to let go of our tendency to cling, to crave for the experience to be more pleasant than it is, for life to be more pleasant than it is. All of our experience being perceived as pleasant or unpleasant or neutral 
investigate what's happening right now. What's your mind doing? Is it pleasant or unpleasant or neutral? How's the breath feel? Is it pleasant, this in-breath, this out-breath? Or neutral or unpleasant? Often when something is unpleasant, we tighten, we resist. Try softening into pain. Whether it's physical or emotional.
for the last couple of minutes. Let go of all of the effort. Just rest. Pretend like the bell has already rung with your eyes still closed. With your body still still. natural, relaxed awareness. So probably turn the AC off. I see some people shivering. It's quite good to meditate with some level of discomfort. If you're too comfortable during meditation, it's, uh, then you won't have any opportunity for compassion. And so much of what we're doing in, in meditation is trying to change our relationship to discomfort and to our craving for pleasure and our, our addiction to being comfortable. And so, you know, sometimes people are quite like, well, I've got to get all the right mood going in the right lighting and the right, you know, pleasant environments and pleasant music to soothe me in meditation. Um, it's fine if you're just wanting to relax and be comfortable and have a kind of pleasant experience. But it's certainly not uh, what the Buddha was encouraging. He was very much encouraging uh, a freedom that will come from turning towards our pain, turning towards and changing our relationship to discomfort. So if you're too comfortable all of the time, no opportunity for what we really need to develop. So we're on the sixth factor of the Eightfold Path. And I started the new year with telling the, the story of the Buddha. And I'll, I'll revisit it a little bit tonight just because, um, you know, when he gets to this place in the teaching, he says, uh, awakening takes a vigorous amount of effort. 
that's not a casual uh, undertaking. <laughs> it's going to, uh, it's asking you to go against the stream, against your instinctual drive towards pleasure and your instinctual drive away from pain. He said, this is going to be a, a really radical uh, transformation. It's going to take a lot of effort. It's not going to, it's not sort of a, um, just a casual undertaking. And if we remember, um, some of you were here, some of you know the stories, maybe some of you don't, that the Buddha spent seven years in really pre-enlightenment, pre seeking enlightenment, the effort uh, of really intense practice. He studied with the wisest spiritual teachers that he could find. Um, people that were considered to be awakened and enlightened kind of gurus and, and, um, and found that mostly what he learned from them and what they were teaching and what they had experienced was temporary concentration-based bliss experiences and not the uprooting of the causes of suffering, but just this sort of spiritual bypass. You know that term where you can meditate away all of the suffering and temporarily be in this really cool experience of, of bliss and joy and emptiness. And, but then when the concentration come, you know, wears off, your ordinary uh, consciousness has not been transformed. You're still craving for pleasure, still aversive to pain, still self-centered and taking everything personal and, and uh, in some way or another. And so he, he found that lacking and then spent these years, like maybe five or six years practicing really extreme austerities. And later when he wakes up and when he's giving this first teaching, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, and uh, you know he has found his friends that he'd been practicing with, the ascetics, these five, you know, uh, colleagues like who are really serious. And when he's teaching them about what he's experienced, the truth of suffering, the cause of suffering, the end of suffering saying like, I got there. You know what we've been seeking? I got there, I'm free. And how I got there was through understanding karma, on, you know, changing my intentions and, and uh, free from negative karma producing intentions. And I got there through uh, wise communication, wise action, wise livelihood we talked about last week. I, I, I don't really buy that he was talking to the uh, ascetics who were not employed about wise livelihood. I think that's probably a later add-on, but and but this teaching, he said, and effort. He said, we were trying too hard. Our asceticism is too extreme. He said, I've found this middle path. The whole setup for the Four Noble Truths teaching is, I have experienced this middle path, these four truths, this eight-factor uh, path is a balanced path, a middle path, 
between the two extremes. He said, one extreme is what we've been doing. We've been trying too hard, this extreme asceticism, extreme renunciation, the total rejection of all forms of pleasure and a seeking of uh, almost a um, masochistic uh, path, seeking painful as if there's some um, holiness in deprivation and pain. Sometimes I've heard some um, teachers translate avoiding the extreme of asceticism is the kind of extreme renunciation is the most common. But I heard uh, um, Stephen Batchelor, who's a teacher that I like, um, said uh, we could translate that as avoiding the dead end of religion. And I like I like that kind of. You know, this kind of extreme blind faith in religion, including Buddhism, and getting a little too attached to I'm a Buddhist and I'm a good Buddhist, and that's, you know, and I'm and a little too uh, devotional in it or fundamentalist. I think I sometimes get a little too fundamentalist about being a Buddhist, or a real Buddhist, a good Buddhist. Uh, old school Buddhists, whatever, like. He said this middle path, which is neither that extreme nor the extreme that I think most of us are probably in and, and our whole culture is in and the whole world is in, which is the dead end of materialism. I'm seeking our happiness from material goods and sense pleasures. He said that is a dead end. There's no way you're going to be able to buy or experience, have pleasure or, or stuff as the source of your happiness. It just is a dead end. It just doesn't work. I hope that you have found that to be true on some level or another. I hope you're disillusioned at least somewhat with materialism. And being disillusioned with it doesn't mean that we don't continue to participate in it. Like Obviously, here we are uh, still participating in it. But the difference is um, whether you think it's actually going to make you happy. You think it's actually the solution. Versus, I know it's not the solution, but I still just got a new motorcycle. <laughs> I'm totally aware that it's not going to make me happy, but it's a lot of temporary fun. Um, and, and I know that temporary fun isn't the source of my happiness, that actually the Dharma mindfulness, compassion and, and non-clinging is the source of my happiness. And I totally participate as, as our community generally is a, a community of householders and finding that middle path of like, I know that's not my refuge. I know that, that materialism isn't the source of my happiness, that it's an internal refuge. So you know, effort, wise effort, appropriate effort, 
he spent seven years and then uh, kind of at the end woke up and said, I was trying too hard. I needed to relax. I needed to accept myself as I was and, and accept that pleasure is unavoidable and there's nothing wrong with pleasure. Remember that whole story about uh, his friends reject him because they say, you have reverted to luxury. You are no longer spiritual because you're indulging in yogurt. <laughs> you're not fasting. You're, and, and, you know, in the kind of sexism, genderism of it, of like, you're letting a woman feed you yogurt. And we're in these celibate, you know, forest dwelling uh, who had taken like vows of not only celibacy, but like, don't even like, talk to the opposite sex or who you're attracted might be attracted to or and he says you know we were go we went too too far and um there's a balanced effort this middle path of mindfully accepting the impermanent nature of pleasure and mindfully accepting the impermanent nature of pain and that it's okay to be uncomfortable and that it's also okay to be comfortable and that it's a good idea to sometimes fast and it's also okay to eat food <laughs> and uh, find a balanced relationship. You know, so many, myself and so many people in our community are recovering addicts and you know, there's all elusive balance. And so, you know, the Buddha, maybe it's why we're drawn to Buddhism. I know for me, it's part of why I'm drawn to Buddhism of like, I'm not very good at balance. I have an extreme tendency. And I want to learn to be more balanced. I want to learn to be more relaxed about everything. But also engage, not too relaxed, not um, disengaged present, connected, um, but not so tight about my views and opinions and even my spiritual path, relaxed engagement with the appropriate effort to make progress. I'm just talking to a friend today who might be tuned in on Zoom and they were saying, um, you know, I'm really working on anatta, on not self. And I said, first of all, stop working on it. <laughs> stop, stop treating it, you know, enlightenment like the task of like, I got to really figure out this emptiness business. And more focus your attention on impermanence. Impermanence will reveal the impersonal, the, the, the not self, not permanent self. Um, because sometimes we can get too much effort into like, I I've, I've heard the talks, I've read the books. I got to figure this thing out. I'm working on it. I'm trying to figure it out. In the suttas, the Buddha says, there are four kinds of effort. And this is, um, 
referring primarily to our meditation practice, but also our, our life. He said, first, there is the effort to avoid, so renunciation. And, and um, sometimes we think of like, ooh, avoidance, like that's bad, avoidance, suppression. But, you know, if it's unwholesome and it's causing you suffering and you can't avoid it, the encouragement here is to avoid. What is the effort to avoid? The practitioner rouses one's will to avoid the arising of the unwholesome things that have not yet arisen, makes effort and stirs up our energy and exerts our mind and strives. Uh, when uh, the eye perceives a form with the eye, a sound with the ear, an odor with the nose, a taste with the tongue, an impression with the body or an object, one strives to ward off uh, that through which, um, you know, greed, clinging, uh, aversion would arise if we remained with unguarded sense, uh, senses. So part of what's saying here is you know that you are, you know, the second noble truth. You know that repetitive craving causes your suffering, causes all of our suffering, and the cause of human suffering, repetitive craving. So since we know that, there needs to be some guarding of, you know, where are the things that really uh, I need to avoid because I crave for and I cling to and I suffer about. So like for all of us who are in recovery from alcoholism or some form of addiction, we know we have to avoid drinking and using. And especially in early recovery, you have to avoid situations that are going to uh, um, be, um, you know, trigger craving. And so he's saying, guard your senses. If uh, walking into a bar is going to lead to a relapse, avoid bars. If, um, if you can, you know, avoid uh, even putting yourself in the situation where that uh, suffering of craving is going to arise. Maybe, you know, Sometimes it's like there's certain situations where you just know you're going to suffer if you show up to some, I don't know, event or community or um, you're going to go and you're not in the place of compassion and acceptance and you're just going to be in resentment mm -hmm. and some encouragement that actually it's okay to have the humility to say, I can't do that without suffering. So I'm gonna not do that because if I go, I want to, I wanna be in the place of just kindness and compassion and total acceptance, but I'm not there yet. So I know there are certain places and situations and uh, that I'll just suffer if I go. So I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna go into the bar. I'm not gonna go, you know, where whatever uh, situation might lead to that. Watches over our senses and res with restraint. The second effort is to overcome. Here, one rouses our will, our, our mindfulness, our effort to overcome the unwholesome things that have already arisen. Makes effort and stirs up our energy and exerts our mind and strives. Does not retain any thought of 
um, sense pleasures being the source of happiness or ill will or grief or any other unwholesome uh, states. I don't like that it says grief because grief, you've heard me talk about it before. My sense is, I'm not sure what poly word they're translating as grief, but there is a healthy grief that's unavoidable and that you actually don't want to avoid or or, or replace or, or overcome. Sometimes you just need to grieve. You just need to feel it and allow that impermanent. Um, but when it comes to craving and, and aversion and uh, resentment that have arisen. So first he's saying like, if you can get into, you know, if you can not allow it to arise, great. But if you haven't been able to do that and that unhold, that craving is here, the aversion is here. The resentment has arisen. The lust is taking over. The attachment is, is you know, coloring your perception. Then uh, overcome through abandoning, letting go, abandoning, like relinquishing. Can you just let it go? Can we dispel them? He says, dispel, destroy, cause them to disappear. Uh, and this is part of the um, meditate and destroy. Part of meditation is destroying the causes of suffering. That's one of the ways that nirvana is talked about, the destruction of greed, hatred, and delusion. And so when it has arisen, how can you destroy it how can you and you know so it's not a violent destruction it's a destruction through wisdom of seeing this is causing suffering i need to let go of it i need to break my identification with it i need to overcome it so there's five methods of uh overcoming Something, you know, so you're sitting here in meditation or walking down the street or at work or at home or wherever, and some really afflictive emotion is taking over and you're starting to suffer. It says, first, uh, try to replace it. So like when a resentment arises in your mind, start doing forgiveness. And your mind is saying, hey, fuck that person. <laughs> I hate them. Replace it with, I forgive you as much as I can in this moment. Even if you don't mean it yet, rather than dwelling in the resentment or in the hatred and the judgment and the replace it, put in what you know, you don't maybe feel compassion yet. You maybe don't feel forgiveness yet, but try putting loving kindness in your mind. Try putting forgiveness in your mind. Try putting, replace it. First effort to overcome. Number two, he says, uh, you can reflect on the misery of that experience, those thoughts. Wow, hatred is really painful. It's miserable. Self-centeredness. Uh, so miserable. I don't want to dwell in this craving the thought. I can't be happy until I get something that I don't have. It's miserable. Reflect on that. Name it. This craving is misery. 
rather than accepting ourselves just as we are. So sometimes that works. It's a, it's a good way to overcome that unskillful thought that has arisen. And then he says, um, or ignore them. If you're not able to replace them, you're trying to do forgiveness, you're trying to do loving kindness, you're trying to see the impersonal nature of the thought and it's not working. He says, then you can ignore it. And this is where a concentration skill, coming back to your breath, disengaging from the mind, coming back to the breath, being able to ignore the unwholesome thought. Uh, sometimes the way we talk about it is breaking your addiction to your mind. Sometimes it's perfectly skillful to not only avoid situations that are going to lead to that, but when it has already happened, ignore it. Disengage from your mind, come back to your breath, come back to your body. Number four, you can consider the compound nature of this unwholesome thought, this suffering that your mind is producing. The compound nature is um, that what's really happening here is that there is consciousness and there is uh, physical form and there is uh, Vedana sense, uh, feeling tone, and there is memory. And the compounded nature of this human experience, which is a physical form that's met by consciousness, that has pleasant, unpleasant, neutral experience, and that memory creates this sense of a solid self. And that's why the, we're taking something personal. He says, sometimes you can unpack it, reflect on like, this is just consciousness, meeting physical form, meeting memory, meeting feeling tone, just the compound. It's actually not so personal at all. So sometimes you can unpack it and then, you know, make a lot of room around the craving or the aversion. It says if nothing else works, if your effort to avoid, to uh, replace, to uh, see the compound nature, if, no, if nothing's working, he said, then you can suppress it, push it out of your mind. He uses the example with teeth clenched and tongue pressed against the gums. One should with their mind restrained, suppress and root out these thoughts in doing so uh, these unwholesome thoughts of greed and hatred and delusion will dissolve and disappear. In another place, he says, just as a strong person would take a weaker person and throw them to the ground. <laughs> with your, use your mind to throw that thought and say, no, <laughs> I throw you to the ground. Fear, get the fuck out. <laughs> I haven't had much success with that personally. <laughs> I feel like my um, unwholesome thoughts are usually stronger than my will to <laughs> spell them or clench my teeth and you know this teaching confuses me a little bit because i feel like so much of what i'm trying to do is accept myself just as i am and even the un, you know even the painful thoughts of meet them with acceptance and compassion and it's the only way i can really get my mind around this um 
suppression encouragement is if your mind is telling you to cause serious harm. If your mind is saying, you know, do something that's going to be very karmically unwholesome. As a, and you're not able to ignore it. You're not able to replace it. You're not a, like you're about to kill someone. And, you know, and if nothing is else is working, then clench your teeth and tell your mind, no fucking way. I'm not going to obey that craving, that aversion, that hatred, whatever it is. Um, suppress it if you have to. It's about to turn into an action that's going to really have devastating karmic consequences. But if it's just a difficult emotion, it's okay. Let it arise and pass. And then the... Um, so the first two efforts to avoid and to overcome, and then the, the next two are more um, positive, the effort to develop, where we rouse wholesome things that have not yet arisen and makes effort and stirs up energy and exerts the mind, develops the uh, elements of enlightenment, the seven factors of awakening or loving kindness or, um, you know, it's like what we're doing when we do metta loving kindness practice or compassion practice or forgiveness practice or equanimity where you're not necessarily sitting here feeling loving kindness but you are developing that you are encouraging loving kindness and wisdom and and compassion to arise you're training your mind to think wise thoughts rather than just sitting back and waiting for them to come you're developing them and then um, the fourth effort is when something, when wisdom has arisen, when a wholesome, loving thought has come, a compassionate, a generous, uh, um, you know, when there's tranquility, equanimity, rapture, concentration, mindfulness, um, rather than just too quickly uh, ignoring it and coming back to the breath, he says, maintain it, turn towards it. This is a, the effort of maintaining. So avoiding, overcoming, developing, and maintaining. Now, maintaining might sound a little bit like clinging, but um, I always like to kind of think of it. What it is, is it's connecting with it while it's there. So clinging is trying to hold on to something that's impermanent. Whatever you're trying to hold on to is impermanent, including your meditative phenomena, including um, when, you know, wisdom has, it's going to arise, <laughs> it's going to pass, you know, joy is going to rise, it's going to pass, equanimity is going to rise, it's going to pass. So he's saying, don't too quickly ignore it, feel it, like acknowledge it, like, oh, look at this arising and passing, maintain it, give your full attention to those wholesome states of heart, of mind. So I, so some of the classic ways that the Buddha talked about effort and then just reflecting on in our lives, how important practice is to you, how important awakening is to you, how central is 
have you made it in your life? Some of you are new to practice. And you're like still checking it out. You're like, not, not very central <laughs> yet. I'm still sort of in the contemplation stage. Some of you have committed fully to the Buddhist path and are um, making it a the central uh, kind of practice in, in your world and in your life. The word that he uses for effort is wiria, and it translates as a vigorous, uh, a vigorous amount of energy. So just thinking about that, do you feel vigorous about your meditation practice, about your adherence to the five precepts, about your um, attempt to bring mindfulness into every aspect of your life? Is meditation still, um, or Buddhism and meditation still something that you just kind of do on Monday nights? Or has it become Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and, and not just on the cushion, but off of the cushion? The effort to be careful with our speech, to be careful with our actions, the effort to uh, find a livelihood that um, isn't causing harm, negative karma to ourselves or harm to others. All of these levels of effort that it takes to truly adhere to this path. Now that having been said, you know, you don't, I'm not, you don't have to, it's your choice. It's all of our choice. Um, but if you get inspired and you really want to follow this Buddhist path, it's going to be, uh, have to be have to become a very central uh, way of life, way of, of uh, how you relate to your own mind, how you relate to pleasure, how you relate to pain, how you relate to the views and opinions and politics and you know of of this world. It becomes everything. And this eightfold path addresses everything. Uh, our relationship to money, our relationship to sexuality, how we communicate, how we show up in the world. And it's not super strict. It's just saying, if you want to not suffer, here's all of the ways to end suffering in your life. Here's all of the ways that we cause suffering and all of the ways to end suffering. Just after the Buddha's awakening, he's hesitant to teach. He's not sure what to do with his enlightened experience. And when he uses the term that we translate as against the stream, patiso tagami, he says, you know, this awakening is so counter to the human instinct of craving for pleasure and aversion to pain and tendency towards self-centeredness. It's such a radical departure from the normal human awareness experience. And to go against the stream takes so much effort. He was hesitant to teach in the beginning. He thought, how many people are actually going to be willing to 
turn towards their pain and to accept, you know, his, he said with this liberation that I've experienced, uh, it's not all bliss all the time. It includes pain. It includes painful thoughts and feelings and sensations. I just don't suffer about my pain anymore. And now I meet it with compassion. But compassion doesn't extinguish pain. It's just a wise relationship to pain. It doesn't get rid of desire for pleasure, just clinging, addiction to pleasure, a balanced relationship to pleasure. He said, you know, I'm not even sure that I'll be able to convince anyone to be mindful. It's so counter to be non-attached. It's so counter to be compassionate, truly compassionate, even towards one's own pain. A lot of people are quite compassionate towards others but compassionate towards your own mind, your own heart, your own body. He later reflected that, you know, I'll teach because um, it occurs to me that um, in each generation, there'll be a handful of people who are discontent enough with the status quo to take on this radical path of awakening. And, you know, and his sense was that it would only be a handful. I don't think he ever foresaw uh, that Buddhism would become one of the world's religions, as it has, where there's billions of people that identify as Buddhist. But of the, you know, billions of people that identify as Buddhists, um, a very, very small percentage of them actually practice what the Buddha taught, actually practice meditation. Even those who become monks and nuns and monastics, from what I'm told, and I believe it's true, like 10% of them actually practice meditation on a daily basis. It's become a religion. It's become a devotional religion. It's become... Um, something other than what the Buddha originally taught. It's become a power structure. It's become a, you know, cultural and, um, you know, there's some beautiful parts of, you know, I mean, I think we could probably say the same thing about Christianity and Islam and every other world religion of like, there's the teachings and then there's the religion, <laughs> which tends to fuck everything up. And the same thing happened in Buddhism because of the effort that it takes. And so a lot of us are like, I love the philosophy. I love, I like to read the books. I like the idea, but actually getting my ass on the cushion, actually going into silent retreat, actually practicing non-attachment. It's too much. Asking too much. Couple last things and then I'll open to some discussion questions. Um, one of the simple and beautiful images that the Buddha uses about uh, effort is um, he says it's like tuning a stringed instrument. And um, if you 
um, crank the strings down too much, too tight, it won't make a beautiful sound. And if the strings are too loose, also won't make a beautiful sound. And so when you're thinking about the effort in your life of the middle path, not too tight, not too loose. And that's a good kind of like check in with yourself. Am I being too tight about my practice or am I being too loose about my practice? And could I use a little bit more effort or should I chill a little bit? So some thoughts on the um, sixth factor of the Eightfold Path. Questions, comments, clarifications, anything? If you're at home, you can, or if you're uh, on Zoom, you can um, raise your hand in your uh, reactions, I think. And if you're in person, you can raise your hand in real life. Uh, Elijah. Hey, um, I just had a question about, um, I'm an APT and I pretty much have phantom pain and uh, notice of my missing leg all the time. Um, what can I do? to um i mean it's 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 extremely distracting so it's hard to constantly bring my mind back to the breath um while having even during my daily life like how can i you know help my meditation with that how, how long have you been meditating now um well i meditated for a couple of years before my amputation. And then once I had that done, um, I kind of slacked off for a while. Yeah. So it's been about a year now. Okay. Uh, I mean, com compassion, changing your relationship to pain, whether it's phantom pain or physical pain, it's the mind saying, ouch, the body saying, you know, this hurts. So developing compassion more and more tolerance for discomfort. Uh, and it, I, my sense is that it's, it's the same as any kind of chronic pain, you know, cause it's, it's chronic phantom pain from the amputation. Um, so turning towards it and accepting it and, and knowing like, I've got to live with this regularly discomfort, you know, uncomfortable <laughs> experience and, um, trying to develop compassion for it, acceptance of it, because this is Buddhism, right? Like uh, 101, which is like, there's the pain, which is there. And then there's the suffering, which is created by our aversion to the pain. Sounds quite simple, but it's really hard to train our mind and our heart to not be so aversive to our pain. Because it's just what I was referring to the Buddha saying, like, this is so against our survival instinct, which is like, this hurts, I'm supposed to hate it. Rather than this hurts, I'm going to learn to be friendly towards it. So compassion practice um, is going to be central, I think, for you, loving kindness, compassion. Um, and, and rather than coming back to the breath all of the time, 
bring, use the pain as the object of your compassion practice. Mm -hmm. And just even saying in a, in a general way, may I learn to be in acceptance of this? May I learn to have compassion for this? May I uh, be at ease in the midst of this pain rather than just ignoring it all of the time? Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. I've got to uh, go to bed, but <laughs> it's midnight here. Thanks for staying up and, and hanging out with us. Nice to see you. Yeah, thank you. Welcome. Please, Tara. Um, just in terms of effort, I was wondering why effort is difficult when it's leading to something that's less painful. I mean, it seems like, I think even I was thinking about the connection between I, I've noticed between addictive patterns of behavior and like procrastination in terms of things that really need to be dealt with. It's a good question. I don't really have the answer. I don't know if at home you could hear um, like wondering why, why it's so difficult to put the effort in to something that we know is going to work. It's going to actually give us relief, but we're so attached to the su familiar suffering. It's all we've ever known. And that even there's that phenomena that I've experienced, so many of us have experienced, where it's like you start to get a little bit of progress and, and that the sabotage, the kind of like, ooh, I don't know how to tolerate happiness. I do know how to, I'm so identified with unhappiness, with suffering, with misery. That's, you know, that feels like, much more authentic <laughs> than becoming free, than becoming happy, than, um, and Mara, you know, that quality of our mind that says, you don't really, you don't really want to get free. You don't really know how to do it. You don't really deserve it. Whatever your mind says. So challenging. The Buddha doesn't talk about this, but in psychology, sometimes I wonder, um, you know, a lot of our core pain is created in early childhood. And when you've had a painful early childhood, there's some wires that get crossed, especially when your primary caregivers didn't do such a great job and somehow pain becomes like love like where you were supposed to get love, it was painful. And then we can end up in these kind of repetitive cycles of experiencing really painful relationships or really painful experiences where, where we're actually just seeking love and um, our wires are a bit crossed. I don't, I don't, I don't have all of the answers about that but i've experienced some of it and and i think that ultimately it's just about persevering and saying like yep it's really really tough and do it anyways and yep my mind wants to sabotage sometimes and keep going we had that um phrase that uh one of the old against the stream teachers uh, had popularized as a mantra to ourselves where you just said to yourself over and over, I love you, keep going. Even if you don't mean it, <laughs> until you mean it, 
keep, you know, that effort. I love you. You know, your mind is saying like, don't meditate today. <laughs> I love you. Keep going. Or your mind is saying, you know, like, don't, don't persevere. Don't keep going. You're on the right path. You're heading in the right direction. Keep going. Maybe we'll leave it there for tonight. A couple of announcements. Next, this Saturday, the 16th, um, I have a day long here at the Meditation Center. Please um, join me. Uh, we'll be doing the five precepts, the three refuges. We'll be discussing the importance of sila, of ethics, as part of our practice. We'll also be doing some meditation. Um, having lunch together. I think it's 9 to 4 p.m. Saturday the 16th. You're all invited. Uh, you can register on the website. You can also attend on Zoom. I'll do hybrid uh, for the day long. So um, if you want to come and you can't afford it, just send an email to, through the website that says, hey, I want to come, but I can't afford it. And we'll, we'll give you a scholarship. Everybody's welcome, regardless of ability to pay. If you can afford it, sign up. It supports the organization. Speaking of supporting the organization, um, classes done by donation at home, you can donate. There's a link, I think uh, they put it in, Jeff and Emily put it in the uh, chat. So you can go over to the website and make some donations. Suggested donation for the Monday night class is 15 to $20. If you can afford that, please contribute it. If you can't, always remember you're welcome here, regardless of ability to pay or donate. Um, if you are inspired and, and financially able to become a monthly supporter of Against the Stream, there's also a, a recurring monthly donation, uh, one of the ways that we can kind of get to the place of paying the rent and supporting the organization is from people saying, like, I just want to kind of become a member of a voluntary monthly uh, donor. So if you can do that, please consider doing that. And the Memorial Day retreat um, has some space left in it. So, and I think there's still some scholarships. So if you wanna come sit for three days, if you wanna put some extra effort into your practice and uh, sit for three days of silent meditation um, on the website, you can register for the annual Memorial Day retreat. I think that's all the announcements. Am I forgetting anything? Russ, that's it. I think that's it. Hope a bunch of you are here on Saturday. And um, next Monday, we will get the mindfulness teachings, the seventh factor. Uh, I don't know if I'll go through all the way through the four foundations in one night. I might break it down into four weeks um, of doing the first foundation and then the second and third and fourth. So we'll see how I feel next week. Good to see everybody. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for joining us on Zoom. Many goodness that comes from our practice be gathered and shared outward in all directions. May each of us find the appropriate effort to get as free as possible in this lifetime. 
And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. Thank you and see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.